Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the 805 Uncensored Podcast, where we discuss politics, music, history, spirituality, and more. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome and thank you. This is episode number 57. So tonight on the show, um, I'm delighted to introduce the brilliant Matthew Schultz. He's the author of The Dark and the Light, Trauma, Shamanism, and Ayahuasca. Also works as a multimedia artist, musician, and educator. So thanks so much for being here, Matt. Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me on, man. I, like I said, I'm excited. Your show's awesome. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you on. So I guess before we dive into the main discussion, is there anything important um, that I left out about you in my introduction? No, I mean, we could, we've could. we got plenty of time to go through everything. What I like is just the broadness of topics that you can have on your show is that we could systematically just scratch off each one if you wanted. Absolutely, yeah. And go down that entire list because I, I love it that it's that broad. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't, I'm not just forced to talk about past music projects or the, the dark and the light, you know? Yeah, it gets boring, you know, just focusing on like one singular topic. Hey, it helps my ADHD, dude. Like, seriously, I get tired of one thing. I'm like, got to jump ship, go to this for a while. And then you just, the the ability to consolidate it all at the end and go like, okay, here's another album. Here's a book. Here's, I'm doing some sweat lodges. Like, it, it, for me, it works out perfectly, actually. Yeah, I can completely relate as someone who also has ADHD. <laughs> okay, so uh, first of all, can you tell my listeners uh, about your book, The Dark and the Light? I think I understand why you wrote it, but I don't want to speak for you, so... Without getting too personal, what are some of the primary life experiences that you've had that would inspire you to write this book? Oh, great. Great question. Yeah, well, I wrote it um, during COVID because, you know, like some of us, we had plenty of time off. Um, and I had taken basically a bunch of uh, journal entries over the years and consolidated. And really the base premise is, is that uh, when I was in the music business and the rock and roll industry back in the 90s, um, you know, heroin was very in vogue. So we were partying a lot and it just, you know, it, it just went downhill, you know, and all the gloriousness of rock and roll, it did end up being a pretty horrible addiction, which in the, by the mid nineties, then I worked to get out of. And so, you know, we're talking quite a while ago. And one of the main things that helped me get out of that was doing um, a sweat lodge. I was, I started volunteering at the American Indian center in Chicago. And so a good way out of addiction is to um, is servitude, right? So you get out of the self-centeredness that is you and your addiction and start just giving back, to, like just go work at a food pantry, man. Just start getting out of this selfishness. And it really worked for me. And then I did a sweat lodge with these guys and that was a pinnacle experience. Fast forward to the late 2000s, it'd be about 2007. Um, I started studying with a fire tender, uh, Lakota Cherokee mix, and uh, started working with Mayan elders down in Guatemala. So I was going to Guatemala and Mexico City, working with these guys, learning from them, studying with them, spending time doing Thomas Skulls. It just kept growing. And then in five, or I'm sorry, in 15, probably, I um, started doing ayahuasca. And that was kind of the long arc of sobriety was reached there. And then the ayahuasca, I basically quit everything I was doing and followed around some shaman and traveled the world. And then as brilliant as I think that medicine is for everything, mostly addiction and uh, enlightenment, right, was that uh, I started seeing also the corruption, you know, narcissistic shaman and all of these things. So I, I was like, I want to write a book that would tell people the spectacular things that I experienced, say, as an atheist coming towards spirituality, you know. 
going like, what? The sciences? I get to meet God here? Like, you know, I mean, it was really quite in, in, insane stuff. And then also as a warning that um, that practice is very highbrow and there's a lot of charlatans and mischief out there, you know. So so I wrote the book two years ago and, and just released it myself. Wow, that's fucking awesome. So <laughs> you said you were experiencing all this when you were in your teenage years? No, I'm 55. So in the mid, you know, mid 90s, okay. is, uh, uh, I was, you know, what, whatever it was, 30 some years ago, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I was 80. So um, 25, yeah, six years oh, like ago. Like in your 20s. Yep. Yep. And then into the 30s, uh, started kind of cleaning up again. This was a long process. You know, had I, I gotten ayahuasca maybe in 95 or four when I actually went in like for methadone and was seeing addiction counselor and all this stuff you know i had the luxury of doing that um i think it would have fast-tracked a different reality so again with the book you know i run sweat lodges for um people in recovery and it gives them a stimulus as a sober person it gives them something new to kind of push their envelope and i you know and again i I don't want to be dogmatic or push any spiritual belief or religion on anybody, but it seems that a lot of people want something a little more, you know, than just like pure atheism, you know, and I was there for a long time. Right. You know, so I get it, but the experiences I had were so great and profound. I would, I wish everybody could experience it. We'd be a different world right now. I would say like we would be in floating Apple cars and working like one hour a week. Oh my God. Absolutely. Imagine you know. if like all the politicians engaged in psychedelic yeah. experiences. I think about this all the time, like <laughs> fucking during the Trump years, if yes. Trump had like multiple magic mushroom experiences. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, the thing was, is he would, you, he just walked in there and went like, wow, you know, I'm really sorry. Like I could, I, <laughs> I would love to reenact that. Right. It's like Trump. I wish I could do a good impersonation, but you know, he'd like just have a press conference and be like, you know, breaking news. Fox would be like Trump speaking. And he'd be like, look, I'm really sorry. You know, I realize I suffer from horrific narcissistic tendencies because of my abuse of my horrible parents. I mean, have you seen my mom's hair? She was really mean. And that's and he just, exactly what it would be. Just fucking dude, one speech no. after another, just making amends. Totally. Like, you know, I'm, I'm following the 12 step program. I got to apologize to the world. Let's start there. You know, I'm going to go down to my daughter, you know, like it's just everything. He's like, this suits even ugly. Like I'm fat and I'm out of shape. I don't feel good about my body. I have terrible negative body self image. I want to get fit and feel good. It's like, anybody got a yoga class, you know, like, <laughs> I think it'd be like, awesome, man. How does, how does one just like begin working with indigenous peoples in general? How did you start working with mine and the Lakota people? Did you just like wake up one day and say, Hey, I want to start working with these people or how does that happen? Well, I, like I said, when I was, uh, I was in Chicago and, uh, my girlfriend was very supportive of my recovery. Like I met this woman and she really helped me through recovery. And then, um, she was, she was considered herself part native American. And, uh, we went to the American Indian center and we just started volunteering and it was like kind of again, I didn't realize it say off the get go, but it was important that you kind of, cause addiction is totally a selfish thing. I mean, I'm, I, you know, we can dance around all sorts of different aspects of it, you know, that it's a disease and all this stuff to a large degree. It's just a really selfish act. And there's different, I think as uh, like, we could get into white entitlement, like all these things, you know, I come from upper middle class in that sense, you know, so for me, it was like, I could afford a therapist, right. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't street bound homeless, which would just 
I, I have the, I just can't even begin to figure out how to get somebody at that, that level off of drugs because your reality would suck, you know? And for me, it was about getting outside of myself to a large degree and just being like, oh my God, there's other people that have it worse than I that don't do drugs or alcohol. Do you know what I mean? It was mm -hmm. like, you, right. you're really copping out, dude. Like you have a fairly okay life. You know, you're, again, it was, it was selfish for me. Okay. So again, I, if it's you a just have like for, moments where you're just like checking your own privilege is what basically what you're saying, right? Seriously, it had to come to that. Like, let's go volunteer. Let's do what we can. And then by doing that, you know, you kind of start to go like, oh my God, it's just being very selfish and awful. Again, that's probably why I use the Trump, you know, mm -hmm. analysis where you just come out and go like, yeah, I'm sorry. I was such an awful person, you know, and I got childhood trauma. I need to really work out and I'm projecting onto other people, you know, but the, there was these two native Americans there, these Lakota, and they would like, Hey, you want to do a sweat lodge? And it was winter. And I was like, well, I don't know what this is. You know, this is almost like kind of pre-internet, very early internet days, you know, like mid nineties. I don't even recall like Googling a sweat lodge. I don't remember this. I just, they told me about it. I said, yes, I'll do that. And something flipped like the, in that lodge, there was a Vietnam veteran and he was wearing this. And this is mind you in the nineties. So we're 20, some 25 years out of Vietnam, 20 years. He was still wearing the Vietnam outfit. He had no leg and they were going around and doing a healing round and they were doing prayers. And anybody want to say prayers? And he prayed for everybody, but himself. Really? And I thought that's, that's it right there. Like that was the, the slap I needed, mm -hmm. you know, it's just quit being selfish and self-centered and, you know, it's not also I don't deny we have trauma that leads to drug addiction. So it's all but you can't use this as an excuse to me. It was like, let's move on. Let's figure out how to resolve this. And so that just kind of went in 2007. Um, it was the same thing. I was at a Krav Maga uh, training. I used to say Krav Maga. And it's, this, I was, this guy was talking about sweat lodge. I'm like, I want to do that again. And he's like, well, just come with me. And boom, that happened. And then the Guatemala, somebody goes, hey, I'm going to go to Guatemala. It was like seven or eight. They go, uh, do you want to go and study with these minds? I go, yes. And I just, I, I at that point, I just like, I'm not even asking anymore. I just, <laughs> I, thank you for asking me. I'll go. You know. Fuck yeah! I mean, and, like, who would turn that down? Anybody in? Like, what? Yeah. Well, and 2012 was coming too. So, like, you know, my base kind of the the most silly foundational thing was just like, what's going to happen? You know, really? Yeah. Like, I want to know the story and. We very much uh, immediately got down there and they were just like, that's Hollywood using, <laughs> you know, exploiting that's super this. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. They totally was like, that's not true. Nothing. Yeah. You know, it's a reset of the calendar. And then the more I studied with them, it was the more I did see um, they had cover stories, actually, which is funny. So like when I first got there, they had this, well, this is what's happened in 2012. And then after a couple of years, you're like, oh, that's really what's happening in 2012. Hmm. So it was a great shift. It's they also don't denounce that it's offset from the Gregorian calendar, right? By possibly up to 30 years. Right. So we could still be entering the actual 2012 phase. Like it hasn't hit yet. You know what I mean? Or it hit 30 years before 2012. Like I mean, it kind of feels like they, every year since 2012 has gotten worse. So <laughs> maybe that's just my like conspiratorial self. Oh my God. I, I think it's just a perpetual ending. It, it Like I love the memes that express this is the slowest end times ever. Like the apocalypse experience, you know, you thought you were going to be Mad Max and Road Warrior and instead you're like the dude. 
you know, from the Big Lebowski. Right. I mean, it's just so depressing, I, I guess, just as a leftist and as just somebody that really cares about other people and equality and all that, that it's so much easier for the vast majority of society to envision a dystopia rather than a utopia. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with you completely. Like, and, and, you know, Gene Roddenberry did it. Like, he gave it to us. You're like, oh, that's what it looks like. And that was kind of like, it just it just was kind of pushed off. Like, you know, you're like, it was actually presented very well. Why are we concentrating on 1984? Like, why is this? Right. And I think know, it's because in people's minds, Mad Max is much more of a reality to them than solar punk or anything like that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think obviously look at gas prices right now. You know, I, you know, what's funny is, is I recently ran across, have you heard of Wasteland? Cause you're in SoCal, right? Yeah. Like you're in so you know Wasteland, I think it's in Nevada. So mm -hmm. it's like a mad okay, so it's Burning Man, right? Without spirituality for Mad Max <laughs> cosplayers. Like okay. that's it it's straight up everything, like those hot rods from from Fury Road and everything. Like it's straight up that. Mm -hmm. And when I first saw it, I was like, Oh, that's kind of fun. It's like a cosplay. Like everybody actually built that car that looks crazy. And they mounted like machine guns. It's where the machine guns go. And then they dress in like post-apocalyptic designer wear that they built themselves, which is creatively really awesome. Like this is a really awesome thing. So I started following all these groups on Facebook. And then I realized pretty quickly that like there's a faction of cosplayers and then there's a faction of preppers. You know, and you're like, oh, that's a real 50 cal you strapped on that car. Mm -hmm. You know, like... And so then it's like, it's so weird to watch it because they're, they're quite literally living it. Like, this is the reality I want now. Like talk about manifestation, right? Like, you know, I mean, you're, you're one of like the bitter, like ironies of this country, right? Is so, so many people in this country were uh, much more prepared for like a fucking zombie invasion than they ever were for a viral invasion. <laughs> Like, people like loading up on guns and shit i'm like what are you gonna do shoot covid well here's a funny thing i mean you want to hear a, a steadfast conspiracy about that too I, i'll totally go on to guns that check the 1400 was roughly the price of a good ar-15 and a thousand rounds of ammo like you know what i mean so like they, for all intents and purposes they went well let's just go ahead and arm the whole country you know here you go, because they 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 instilled the fear. You know, I I, I mean, I'm yeah. a yeah. I, I believe me, I'm a gun owning, a legal gun owning leftist, right? Like because I don't care about the Second Amendment as much as I care about the fascists who will go, go kick my door in for fun. You Absolutely. know what I mean? Like that's the reality of it. Mm -hmm. I want to protect me and my family because the Crystal Knock 2024. You know what I mean? Yep. And that's what worries me. So all the leftists the liberals even like moderate democrats that i knew that were anti-gun were literally going out and buying weaponry when COVID hit i mean it was so now what you have is basically a divided conquer strategy of powers that be whoever they may be right that have armed the the number one country on earth was the number one country on earth this was you know intellect strength all these things you know and now we're like failing at everything right we're not even close to number one but right They've armed them all and they just keep pinning them against each other. I mean, I think a civil, I, I saw an NPR once, uh, it was recently within the last six months, there was an article by a reputable ex like Clinton, some affiliate with Clinton. And she was like, we're in a cold civil war right now. She's like, it's moments before it goes hot and turns to gunfire. And that's for me, when I said, I saw that article, 
that I, I was like, holy shit, it, for NPR to call it that, I was like, man, yeah, we are in seriously deep trouble now. Yeah, we are. Oh, God. So the, you know, everybody bought all this weaponry and now we see the, the uh, negative ramifications for this stuff. I think the only good thing I've seen lately is just all those guys, but we're talking June 14th, what was it, yesterday? They were all the, uh, the Patriot Front guys. Yeah, getting arrested. You're kind of like, yay, but... When the fascist pigs are <laughs> arresting the fascist protesters, I'm not certain how that's going to turn out for us. You right. Know? No, and I, I'm not. So, I used to be somebody that was like an advocate for like hardcore gun control. Not fucking anymore. If you understand U.S. history, gun yeah. laws are racist in this country. They are to disarm people of color and working class poor people. And that's how it always works out because the people who enforce gun laws are law enforcement. They're not going to yeah. fucking disarm their friends in the, in the boonies, their white yeah. supremacist fascist friends, you know, they're going to, they're always going to be armed. They're going to fucking dis disarm black people and brown people. I, uh, I, you know, it was year, two years ago. I paid, it was, you know, Trump was president. I paid for the concealed carry course and the license, everything, the whole nine yards. I went full gonzo on it, man. I was like, I will, I want to have this legally done. And I remember I was in the class and of course it's all law enforcement. It's taught by law enforcement, right? Yeah. And I have nothing actually against good law enforcement. I just, I mean, I guess I met a couple guys. I didn't really get to know them. So I don't know. Right. Like some <laughs> cops, but it, you know what I mean? It's like Bill Hicks and the, and the troops, right? He's right. like, if I was with the troop in the bar, I would talk to him. He's probably a pretty cool guy. I'm not even going to say what Bill Hicks said. You can Google that. Um, because that'll that'll flow back on me. Like this conversation is totally flow. But this cop next to me, he says, uh, I go, they go, your car will be registered now by your license tag that you're concealed carry. And I was like, Oh, can I get my money back? I don't want that. Like, like I, that's that's terrible because that means then my car is like auto pulled over, right? Right. And the cop says to me, he goes, and he looked at me and, and, and I didn't say political beliefs. I'm respectful to everybody anyway. You know what I mean? You have to kind of be an ass before I'm gonna assume mm -hmm. something right i want to be pleasant to people and right. he was a nice guy and everybody in the class was a nice guy right? but, but anyway he goes dude uh you know he goes if I, if you were doing 45 and a 35 and i clocked you and pulled out to give you a ticket and then i ran your plates and you had nothing right you're clean as can be and you it said you're concealed carry he goes i'd let you go and i was like that's exactly what you're saying jordan it's just that like now you're actually in the boys club yep you know and so i was like I'll believe that when I see it. And in the last two years, I've seen that. I've seen that as a truth. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Okay, so yep. moving away from politics yes. for a second, I wanted to go back to uh, the sweat lodges because I want you to talk about like the spiritual and their therapeutic benefits of them and what exactly they are because I don't fully understand them myself. And I think it's important for the listeners to hear about them. Absolutely. Thanks for the shift too. <laughs> um, yeah, because I don't want to stay on that either. Um, I know I appreciate it. A, a sweat lodge, they're used, uh, they're internationally been through all of history, right? So in the because we're in North America, people tend to believe they're a Native American thing. And that's just not true. I mean, they, they're literally done all over the globe. So in Finland, it's so entrenched in the culture 
that um, people will have finished people like they have saunas in their houses. And so, you know, it's like the sauna at a gym where it has the heat box and you pour water on it, the stones. That's a version of a sweat lodge. That's like the finished sauna, right? There's no Got spirituality it. in that, right? Mm -hmm. They're just going in for fun, but it is therapeutically fun in that sense. But, but there are finished babies that will be born in the lodge, in the, in the sauna, which Guatemalans, I was in a studying with uh, the Tata down there and, and somebody, a guest said, we were, while we were in the lodge, she said, can kids come in here? And he laughed and he said, babies are born in here. So down there in the Tamaskal, a, um, a lot of the Mayans will, as she's breaking water or broke water, they'll get a lodge going and, and take her in right away. And so what it really is, is um, they're different everywhere. The, the North America ones that I adhere to, it's a, a willow dome about 14 feet across at the base and it's arced up and then i have cloths that i put over it it makes it pitch black in there but uh, it could still breathe right mm -hmm. and then we heat up stones in a fire outside and we we brush them off when they're at temperature we let them heat for a couple hours depending and then brush them off and bring them in with a pitchfork and put them in and then we seal it up and then i have my lodge drum and some other um musical instruments and rattles and stuff and I was trained under a traditional Lakota. So he had gifted me all the songs for that lodge and trained me for that. It was that you have to be a fire tender. And I did that for years. And now I've kind of modified the lodge. I use singing bowls in there. We do a lot of silent meditation. We say prayers. I do drum therapy. You know, so the drumming is very loud inside there. I sing songs. Um, some are Lakota that I've been I've been trained. Some are other ones, and then a lot of it's just talking and saying prayers. Like it gives people a safe space to um, push that envelope. We're getting hot. It gets hot. You know, like you're you're yeah, way up imagine. there, right? Yeah. And uh, by the third round, it's starting to get. It's moderately intoxicating for newbies. It's it is intoxicating because the toxins have never been released from their system at that level before, and so they're actually having a toxic rush. Um, so it, it becomes more intoxicating for them, but it's a wonderful means of like connecting, grounding. That's really the premise of this whole thing. And then also just creating a, for me, a super safe space for people to um, have some experience, whether it's a breakthrough, um, whatever they want. If it's just, yeah, I've had atheists come, I'm like, just enjoy the sweat, you know, like come and have fun. You can sit there, you don't have to say a word, don't have to sing anything. And by the time we're saying words, maybe a gratitude, you know, fourth round gratitude, they're like, they're talking, you know. That's beautiful. That sounds absolutely incredible. It's, uh, I call it medicine without having to do medicine, so to speak. Like, it's not intoxicating in the sense of like sacred medicines, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's you can go in. That's why uh, people in sobriety and recovery like it, because we could push that envelope for them. Um, a lot of them use AA as a modality, NA. So there's a higher power introduction through that program. This, I kind of support that. I'm non-denominational. I don't do Lakota lodges straight up. I could send you to a great Lakota for those lodges. I'm doing my own version of the lodge. Do you know of any um, prominent sweat lodges here in Southern California? I don't. I don't. And and one of the issues I do have was just that um, I forgot his name. It was Ray. I could look it up. Uh, he had a lodge, I think, in New Mexico, and that's the one where a couple people um, died in his lodge because oh. he wasn't he wasn't a smart man at all, right? Um, 
I forgot his name in here. Hold on a second. I'll get it for you real quick. And what it is, is uh, he had overpacked people. He didn't do a preliminary test on people, right? Um, he overpacked the lodge. Let me find this real quick. So, okay. Um, James Arthur Ray was a new age guy. And I don't even remember where he was. It was the Angel Valley Retreat Center. And he had and, and like three or four people died in his lodge. And what he did, he uses treated wood from the lumber for the porch they were building as the fire kindling to heat the stones. So the stones absorbed the toxins from the treated lumber. And then when they brought him in and poured the water in it, it, it literally was a, a toxic bomb. He overpacked the lodge, which I never do. He didn't pre-check check anybody's health or conditions and have a discussion with them. He dehydrated them at the retreat for two days beforehand. And then some of them had asthma. Like it was everything you would never do as a lodge, a water pourer, right? And so I have had some people, there was a Netflix documentary at some points and people brought that up. Um, so again, I don't know, you could Google your like whatever, you know, Native American sweat lodge or something like that. And I'm sure you'll run across people without a doubt. I know there's some in up by San Francisco. Okay. But so, you're more than welcome to come out to Illinois and have one. Right? <laughs> I've actually never been out there. For you're this, okay. For this east I've been is uh, Missouri. So almost no Illinois. No kidding. <laughs> wow. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're better off where you are. <laughs> <laughs> I like it out here. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to ask you more about uh, psychedelics, specifically in the context of DMT and ayahuasca. So why should or shouldn't people take these? Well, that's a great question too. Yeah. So again, this is a lot of what I'm covering in the book. And, um, I think in it's weird. I think the ayahuasca retreat thing is without a doubt, some type of badge in the new age sash of, of, you know, like girl scout, boy scout. Accomplishments. Do you see like a, a colonism element to it? Yes. Because yes. when you research it, a lot of scholarly articles indicate that, that there's like a Western colonial aspect to the ayahuasca shamanism retreat thing. Absolutely. Because, I mean, first of all, it's done, it's capitalistic by proxy. It's a for-profit endeavor. So right there, like straight off the bat, you're wrong. It's wrong. Like <laughs> you can't win, right? You can't win because somebody's charging money. And then the second aspect to that is um, typically in Peru, where I, I was at the facilities, um, the Shipibo, like that's ancestral lineage. So that's your accreditation. So the reason there's so many charlatans within this system is there's no accreditation, right? It's not like I could, you know, I can't just go like, I'm in Illinois and I'm, I'm a doctor. Like, come see me and I will, you know, take my stuff. Right, you, you, right. you have to have serious education and accreditation. And they don't, all these gringos that are going there, so to speak, and intertwining themselves with the Shipibo. The Shipibo have never seen money like this before. So they're going to do whatever it takes. So I would see they would like, this guy maybe necessarily isn't a shaman. His uncle was, but he had done a couple ayahuasca with him. So now suddenly he's selling himself as a, a shaman, mm. ayahuascaro down there. So that was the other problem. The thing is, is traditionally lay people didn't do ayahuasca. It was for the shaman of the tribe and the way why he did it was you would go to him and say like whatever i have a stomach ache right terminal stomach ache problems mm -hmm. liver whatever 
he would do the ayah and then go out in the jungle and then the plants would come alive and illuminate and tell him which plant you needed which is not hallucinogenic it was just you know healing herb and then that's why they did it they never really gave it so much to just is it, like is it just the, turning into like white people just fucking around in the jungle taking drugs yes in my opinion i i think that's where it's at and here's the thing i had is this Sorry that to be all some, crude about it i i no, i i think that thank you for being that crude because we kind of somebody does need to bitch slap you know the the and again i i'm an aggressive uh you know so to speak like i i would be an aggressive male on the you know spiritual new age spectrum in that sense right i curse and um i'm just not all white light narcissism like this beautiful you know what i'm saying so anyway i i would totally say that a lot of these people they're like this is exactly where it goes right so they're like white light healers and white energy white light people are like you know great creator will take care of me um let's bring down the aggression you know what i mean like yeah. i'm offended you've triggered something in me and i'm like this is all good i'm sympathetic to this but then they're like but you know great creator will guide me um and i trust in great creator when i go to peru and my thing is is you're a fucking idiot right because uh without checking out laboriously checking out the center talking to who's ever running it who's the shaman at it i would you know get 50 past guests and email every one of them i would write the center and say i need your entire list of like 50 guests given to me so i can check up on your center and they're going to deny it because it's privacy issues right but it's not a privacy issue they just they don't want it to fess up to the fact that it costs a lot of money it's speculative on what's happening and i saw firsthand that one of the centers i was at the center owner was inappropriately touching people at the ceremony so my job as a facilitator was to come to you that after the next day of ceremony and integrate what happened right so i'd sit with you what happened right and they would talk and people were like i felt like he touched me inappropriately this the other the owner of the center and that was then i heard that he, there were the women were reporting to me that he they saw him walking through the one the, you know we're in the jungle so you bathe in a creek right but he was like spying on them so these are like massively serious horrors to perpetrate on somebody who most likely the majority of people going down there suffered from childhood rape, rape trauma so if you have suffered from such a horrendous act of child rape as you know as a kid that it's ruined your life you're an, an addict all of these things and then at some point you're like i have to go from like louisiana to peru to an ayahuasca center to find the healing the last thing you want to do is interact with somebody who's spying on you while you're bathing or touching you inappropriately in the thing and i had to get out of that facility and i felt threatened very much my life was threatened at that facility when i brought it up to the owner right so for me the entire kind of badge of what you know ethno tourism right like i'm gonna go down there and i found the right place is great for a well-researched hopefully um bilingual like <laughs> We totally learned Spanish before I would go down there and put yourself at the mercy right. of this situation, you know, and that's for that, right? It's for ayahuasca net. Now, conversely, ayahuasca is probably the most potent 
addiction killer, like it can wipe it out in a few short sessions and the enlightenment. And given that you have a good shaman with the right Icarus, the songs that guide you through this experience, right? He's a very good trusting shaman, which I've run across on earth are amazing. And you will talk to God and you will see your past lives. Like yeah, the, the profundity of what happens to you beyond the healing and the addiction recovery is unbelievable. So I will prophesize it, prophesize it. I will um, promote it, but I'm worried about people going to Peru to do it. That's why I'm excited that the United States, some of these like Oakland in your state, Portland or Oregon is all decriminalizing these drugs because really we should probably be doing it with mushrooms. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I mean, county, uh, decriminalized yeah. mushrooms. You know, and that would be the thing with a good guide and the same playlist, so to speak. You know, I, I went through the evolution of dealing with so, just straight Shipibo or Brazilian ayahuasqueros singing either in Spanish or the Shipibo language, right? Mm -hmm. Like that. Well, I don't speak Spanish and, and I certainly don't speak, you know, no Shipibo, um, whatever language they actually have. I guess it would, I'm not certain. So don't hold me to whatever they're called. And I apologize for not knowing. But the point being is how sympathetic am I to that then? And so over the years, I started practicing with other people. Like there were some people I lived in South Africa for a while and practiced with people who did kirtans. So they were singing to Shiva using the harmonium and doing like straight kirtan, but while on ayahuasca. And it was completely different. Like I met Lord Shiva, like for real, had one of the most beautiful experiences of my entire life under that. So then I started realizing, well, it may be the music that's manipulating like the Aya has these channels, dimensional space you can visit. And without the correct structure of music, you're going to go into weird dimensional spaces, right? Like a, a bad acid trip. And so I started practicing with some people uh, in the States where we just listened to world music on a really good sound system, <laughs> you know, and there was no shamans involved. And that proved to me that to some degree, you don't need that level of the shaman for the medicine to work. So I do believe now that we could maybe, and I'm hoping, switch to mushrooms, which are indigenous to us up here in North America. Ayahuasca is not part of our system here, you right. know? Right. And so I have a whole problem with that, too. Like, if you're going to do hallucinogenics as a North American, we should probably stick to mushrooms and peyote, you know? Yeah. And, or like, yeah, masculine and peyote is exactly what yeah. I was thinking. San Pedro. Absolutely. You know? And so then if we could do it with the correct music and facilitate with what I would say without the imposition of some say guy, you have no idea who he is and where he's coming from and what he wants from you. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it, it's yeah. a good loving family. Then, then we can get back to Trump, you know, coming out and having a press conference that he's opened up and, and we don't need to exploit the rainforest too, because ayahuasca is being way over harvested. It, it's, it's ridiculous. So that makes sense. Yeah. Thank you so much for elaborating on that. So yeah, I, I honestly, yeah, go ahead. You touched a little bit on music at the end there. Uh, can you talk about how music is connected to the ayahuasca experience and spirituality in general? Absolutely. Um, this is a great interview. Thanks, man. These are all awesome questions that I totally want to talk about. Thanks. Because I, so one of the reasons I called the book, the dark and the light was because in the nineties I had a, I started this dark ambient improv band called lab report 
And then I was also in this industrial band called um, Pig Face out of Chicago. So I started, I had those two bands and the lab report was really my main interest band because I, I wasn't really that much into producing or making industrial rock. I enjoyed ministry. I thought they were great. Trent Reznor was on our first album for Pig Face before he ever came out as Trent Reznor, right? So it was really cool. And I, I was very honored to work with some great musicians in that project. But with lab report, really what we were doing was just, we had like three to four, we had three permanent members at the time. And I would say we all had levels of um, serious psychological issues as kids. You know what I'm saying? And then we probably did too much acid back in those days. And so we kind of cathartically vomited this dark ambient stuff, which ended up getting me to be able to do like a soundtrack for Bernard Rose, who was the director for the original Candyman. So to some degree, I'm like basically making horror movie soundtracks for live audiences and we're improv it. And it was psycho. This stuff is psycho. Now, when we played it, to me, I thought it was really fun and cathartic and beautiful. And then I go back and listen to it. It's like, geez, Louise, man. Like, I was kind of, I would always say in interviews, we were, we were expressing the collective unconsciousness of the psychosis of American culture. That's like, that was what we were tapping into, right? It was just straight serious. I mean, we constantly were referencing serial killers and, and all this stuff. It's a very dark project, right? And I think for the 90s, it was appropriate at that time. And I built this instrument called the ATG, which you can wiki at anti-tank guitar. And it's a large lap steel guitar. It was six feet long and it has five foot bridge to bridge. So I could get subsonic low end that was just massively low frequency. And I love just playing these steady tones and stuff. Well, back then we had no idea of any of the spiritual new age movement, sound healing frequencies, all of these things, right? We were just working very intuitively as musicians. Over the years, and some nine solo records now, or I've been on like, I think it's 36 records so far. Um, I've evolved and seen all this where like, now I do singing bowls, right? So for me, it's like, oh, this was what was trying, I was attempting in like the most different trickster manner back in the nineties, which to create this horror movie stuff to scare people. And, and what happened was, is that we would get horrific I mean, absolutely horrific. Uh, this is back in the day of like post office box, right? So we got fan mail. And these people were like, you know, I, I, I kid you not, we get fan mail. People are like, I want to kill everybody. Um, your music makes me, uh, that's the only thing I love. I want to kill my family. You know, like, oh, Jesus. Dude, it was like seriously sick individuals. And, and I realized that we suddenly had a responsibility. So like, I would really write them back and go, look, man, this is like satire. You know, like we're really funny, got comedic guys, you know, like we're having fun. Yeah, therapy. Yeah, yeah. And we would take due diligence, like personally handwrite these guys back and say like, please go get help. You know, I'll talk to you if I'm here, like we're here for you. But it was convoluted and misconstrued, right? Mm -hmm. And it, finally at one point, my, the bandmate, the, the last one I had been in the project with, he had said, uh, he got a disturbing letter. I said, did you do the due diligence and write back? He goes, no, nah, I'm tired of doing that. I guess told him to do it. And I was like, excuse me? And he's like, I said, just do it. And he goes, think about all the publicity that like Iron Maiden got when some guy killed himself or whatever. And I was like, I looked at him and I was like, this project is over and you have to leave my house. Like it was done. The friendship of years that band, everything yeah, I tried to solve it on the spot. Me? Yeah. That's I was like, I didn't, it was horrible. It was one of the, and I, yeah, at that time he was really my best friend too. And I did not expect that from him. 
And so what happened with me is, is I, I still kind of did the dark ambient solo, but I was trying to like warp it into what has now become like I do binaural beats, what I consider fairly new age music. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I do music like I have a whole score that I did where it's, it's uh, it is an ayahuasca, like an Icaros of angels singing for 30 minutes. I mean, it, it's it's really one of the most like you could go to a, a Christian church and put it on and everybody be like, this is beautiful. You know, it's complete beauty. You What's know? it so called I, again? Again, um, it's angels. I'll send you the link to it. It's a, it's basically a band camp song I have up there for okay. people. Yeah, and it's send like me the a link. I'll add it. Yeah. Yeah, I'll send you all the links because I did um, the Hermetic Order of the Division. I built that in the 2007 to 10. I did three albums under that, uh, which is like mantras, which is like world music. And I, I love that because it's still kind of dealing, say, with a, like kind of an Aleister Crowley alchemical yep. <laughs> darkness. You know what I mean? That's like cool and fun, but it's not like people like I want to kill my family to this stuff. You know, I just I really there was a point. At, at that fan letter that was in the late mid 90s too where i was like this has to change we have to be responsible as entertainers i really did come to like that you can't just project you, it, 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 there has to be a responsibility there does i, I just I, I i couldn't do it anymore i couldn't just be like i don't care that's your thing you know which no, I think very it's, it's excellent that you had that light bulb moment and you did help those people and write back to them yeah fuck that one dude that was your friend that had that Seriously. response your response was incredible i would have absolutely done the exact same thing yeah i mean i i quite because of my website for um the sweat lodge and i have a page about addiction recovery so if i think if you google sweat lodge addiction and recovery like that somehow the seo gets it there right i get it i i think i get one I would say every couple of months from a heroin addict or alcoholic somewhere in North America, usually that's like, Hey, I found your site. I really want to do a sweat lodge. And I'm like, come on out. Like you're more than invited. I know you're a thousand miles away and most people don't have the money to traverse. Cause usually by the time you go into recovery, you've spent everything. That's right. one of the byproducts is you, you have to clean up. Right. That's, that's just understood. But I'm like, you're still welcome. And then my thing is, is like, I'm here to talk to you. I don't care. I'm not charging any money. I, I just want to help. Anyway, I went through that. And to be honest, I got very little help from my peer group, my friends, because what you do is you burn too many bridges, right? And I didn't steal from my friends. They stole from me, but still they just get tired of your bullshit as an addict. I hate to say it, but you got under, you know, I can understand that. They're like, we're dealing with your shit again. So they kind of were like, nobody's going to go like, here, let me hold your hand. And I did have one friend, my girlfriend at that time in the book, I call her Wonder Woman because she did hold my hand and go like, let's get you cleaned up. And I was like, I, I'm forever appreciative of her and that energy she put into that. Uh, that's great. Um, I guess, yeah, I, I do have a few more questions for you. Go for it. So how can a person work to manifest their dreams into reality? <clears throat> Excellent one. Again, this gets back to the book. So as mentioned earlier, the, uh, and I'll tell you, so this was like the fifth cover story for what happened in 2012. Okay. Right. And so, you know, they had all these things and finally got down to they're like, okay, what's really going on? And it was me and the elder and some other people. It was like our, you know, our initiation and we're getting the truth here. Yeah. And they were like, it's exactly like the matrix in the sense that we are in a second life video game playing the role of the avatar that is you. Right. Mm. 
So like first person shooter games on the, on the internet, you know, like I can take my avatar into the internet, meet you, you're wearing your headphones, but you're in the internet. And then we're interacting with each other, which can affect our avatars in that space. And 2012 was a computer upgrade that allowed you to singularly control your reality. Okay. So it works like this. Everybody you knew 2012, right? Was an authentic secondary person in their own role-playing game, like an avatar. There's still a different version of you outside of you, right? Like mm -hmm. in my book, I use this, the gods are talking. They come down here and take a monkey suit ride for fun, right? Like, so imagine there's some form, whether it be alien, godhead, whatever it is, there's something out there that is you. And then it's in an avatar in the matrix playing the version of Jordan or Matt, and we're communicating. And so we're, we're affecting each other this way. And then at 2012, they upgraded it. And now it's just me. So my parents are my mental constructions of them pre 2012, right? Acting out the ways I think they should act out. This, you know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. So it's so the idea is, is that this is such a total construct and the matrix is the best allegory for it is, is that once you become singularly in control, it's Neo seeing the code in real time and stopping the bullets. That's what it that's. And so the manifestation is, is that if you truly believe you have the ability to augment your reality in any way, shape, or form, and this oddly reflects back to like alchemical belief systems, this ideas, but is that you can actually just, you could say like, I want to be a millionaire, right? And then you go buy a ticket if that's the ritual that would make you believe to become a millionaire, and then you'll win a million dollars. The problem is, is nobody has Neo's ability to see the code and believe it. So you're right. still taking the bullets, right? Mm -hmm. And your ability to believe it. So the thing is, is that you, we use ritual to support belief systems to manifest something. So Christians, they put a fancy suit on and go to a fancy building on a special morning and they eat you know, bread that's the body of Christ and drink some wine that's his blood. And then they're like forgiven for their atrocities. Take all your money. They, yeah, that too, right? Um, that is... A beautiful ritual for them. That's great. I'm glad, you know, I think they shouldn't be forgiven. Mostly probably need to actually go work on the, the reality <laughs> of their sins. Right? But it's a ritual nonetheless, right? So we start believing in the rituals. The ritual supports the belief. What you, That's where magic comes in. So magicians are is that you're going to create a ritual. That's my next question. Yep. So the, the magicians and great magi are actually creating spells, right, in order to manipulate an end goal. Okay. And then Austin Spare would say like, no, we don't want to see the actual spell. We're just going to kind of create it and throw it away. And so my, the division, the history of the division was me spending three years creating a, um, it's a farcical hermetic order to, uh, you know, it's fun, but I also believe it. Like if that makes sense, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And totally. So, yeah. So that I, I make magic kits, you know, and this is all like a different archetypal character that I play. So, you know, I'm, I'm Matt right now talking to you. I have a different kind of persona I put on when I do the sweat lodge because I'm there for that reason. And then when I do my magic, I'm become the magi and a magician. And so that would be that I, I create a spell that I believe will work. The trick is you have to believe it works. And that 
guess, like if you, I say, you say like, you know, again, I'm going to get a billion dollars. So you can drive to the store, you buy a lottery ticket because that's the only way you think you can get a million dollars, right? Because it won't just be gifted to you, right? Right. Like, so you're going to do that. And then the whole time you're going like, yeah, probably not going to win. <laughs> you know, like that was a waste of a buck. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, maybe, you know, oh, I wonder what, and you're projecting all these manifestations, right? You got like a hundred linear thought processes going on. What's it going to look like tomorrow when I look at the numbers? What are the numbers? You're seeing the numbers 32, 47, 58. You're like, maybe it's 28. I don't know. So like, there's no clarity in that whole magic spell. Right. And you're in, it's riddled with self doubt. And so the manifest, the greatest magic you can do is to wholly believe it, or at least train yourself to the point of attempting to believe it. That's like the best we could do. Right. Which to me reflects back of like, let's be a good human. Right. So like, I don't do any magic spells that affect other people. Like, mm -hmm. because to me that would become black magic and I don't want to be a perpetrator of black magic, right? That's my will against yours and it's not fair. What I want to do is create spells that make me a better person and uh, I can acquire things like for me to be a better person, right? So that's how I look at magic. I have a very weird, highly highbrow like to the point where i really don't practice magic right because in a way you're like well if i have this power then i really shouldn't probably use it because somehow it's cheating the matrix and the whole system again i have this there's a play in the middle see why of people book. would think that <laughs> don't you think you know what yeah. i mean you're like you know it's like they killed jesus because uh and again i this is if you believe in christ right but like the idea that he got here was like he most likely if he did exist because there's 26 myths that are parallel to him before him right like horus is the christ myth so it, it's all bullshittery right but whatever yeah. so if you believe that this guy actually existed it, it looks like he may have gone to asia and, and studied buddhism right so he's coming back with like very possibly highbrow manifestation uh magi skills right he can actually think when I was in Guatemala and initiated, we did uh, Bufo, the toad. At the same time, we did Detura. And Detura is the most deadly. I mean, it's nightshade, right? This is You're on the other side for 7 to 11 days. And I had such Christ consciousness experience there that I kind of had a greater understanding of what it was, that he was a super magi that could alter mind over matter. He's Neo, right? Mm -hmm. And so he went back to the Middle East and then this sick person, you know, he, he healed that leper, right? He brought Zachariah, I think it was, back from the dead, you yeah. know? So like this, there's a very possible reality that he's doing it. And, they, and the disciples and everybody's like, how do you do this? How do you control reality? And he said, you just have to believe it. And then the Romans and other people were like, we need to kill this guy <laughs> because he's ruining the game. You know, like, the game, we don't want to give up that info, right? Like, yeah. you, we, we want, you're an avatar. It's like if you went into Call of Duty and suddenly had the ability to just take every bullet and then just anybody you looked at, you could drop dead, right? People are like, this game's no fun anymore, dude. You're totally cheating. Oh, that makes you know? perfect sense. Yeah, nailed him to a cross. I said, get out of here. We want to go back to our stupid game, you know? <sighs> Fucking A. Oh, my God. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> So uh, I asked you all the questions that I had for the main part of the interview. Is there anything else that I left out that you think might have been missed in the conversation? I don't think so. I mean, I think we did a pretty good coverage of that entire broadness of everything. You know, again, I can give you all the websites and stuff and then the book 
I, I think the book, you know, it's it's not a hailing manual in any way. It's just some a memoir with like there's some philosophy in there. You know, I've got yeah. stories of when I was a drug addict, some hilarious stories about my aunt who was a nut job, but used to traumatize me as a six year old. You know, like and again, I was just it's fun. I wanted it to be fun. And there's a play in the middle about these gods again that that come down to the monkey suit ride and how they talk about that. And and then also hopefully some just kind of what I consider simple advice. You know, you brought up the sounds, the, the, the really the end point of that, um, you know, the music and frequency is, is so important because the Icaros that are sung do help you on that experience, right? So it's very possible, like language is magic, right? Abracadabra, all of these things are, it's, it's very much powerful magic because of the frequency and we can control frequencies with, through language. And the thing is, is that I was talking about like this idea of belief, it's really rounded out in the book of like, we tend to go around in a very low frequency state and a drudgery of life. And, and it is, this is a horrible time as much as it is, it's amazing, right? Like I'm in an air conditioned house right now, literally at the end times of global warming. So, you know, the battle is like, man, I, I lived in Costa, I lived in Peru in the jungle. I lived in Costa Rica. You know, you, you can be out in the jungle. It's just miserable. Your life's miserable. Also, I'm contributing to it. You know, like it's all these issues. It's just a precariously amazing space to be in. Polar, great. But you can raise your frequency and sustain that just higher frequency levels is like kind of breaking out of the low frequency that is our mundanity. I think that's really what it comes down to. It's, it's, it's a lot of, it's just kind of like the idea of non-attachment, you know, like not attaching yourself to this horrible job and you're going there, like all these things are emotional attachments. And if we can just go have fun in your life, I mean, that's really where I'm at. I hate to say it. I still obviously work my butt off and do a lot of stuff. I teach college online and, but man, I am so about like, let's get, I mean, I'm not hedonistic about it, but it is like, I want to be laughing and have fun. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, we're just dying here, man. You know, we're not mental. And that's not to say we, we shouldn't be fighting the Nazis. Right. Yeah, fuck Nazis. Fuck fascism. <laughs> I know. I just don't want to live in that perpetual. I have lived in that. Woe is American Trump fascism for so long that I'm like, yeah, I'll fight the fight. I'll do my due diligence. But I'm also going to try to be a nicer person, try to show love to people. You know what I mean? Like, I have a better job. Yes, they are not to... mutually exclusive. Yes. And I was listening to one of your other, just the recent podcast you had where they had the whole board. And uh, this panel? did come up. Is this like, yeah, the panel. Thank you. Um, there is a way, not with the neo-Nazis and the Proud Boys. That'd be a different story. Um, but there is a way to affect the Republicans to understand that a large faction of their party doesn't represent them, right? This, so what I'm talking about is me talking to my dad. <laughs> this is right, like you know, a boomer, right? So right, for right. me, it's like, and, and I've got—he's totally pro-socialist, Medicare, like universal health care for all, right? Mm -hmm. If you go down it, he doesn't know it, and I won't tell him. But I crack because I'm like, yeah, you're really a centrist Democrat. If not some leftist leaning, you know, because like, the, the whole spectrum's been moved so far to the right, right? Yeah. So oh, anybody yeah. with any common sense, you're like, anybody what are you, from radical? the left of Reagan is a communist. That's exactly it. And you know, I try to I start that argument out too with like a lot of times you could say Obama was right of Reagan, 
Nixon's, by definition, Nixon's economic policies were to the left of Biden. <laughs> That's, see, I, that shows you how messed up this system is. You know, I like to do the other thing I do with conservatives actually here, if we got a minute, the, the thing is, is a, the best inroad is to denounce the Democrats as complete idiots, which they are right. So that's easy, right? I vote for them because that's all I have as an option. Yes. They're like the most ineffectual other side of the coin. Like I have more respect for Republicans that are like, fuck you. I'm taking your dollar. This is our agreement. Screw you. And the Democrats are like, we're here for you. And then screw you behind your back. <laughs> so to me, I'm like, stop lying and gaslighting. Totally, man. And so the system is so, so I, I do. It's like, I just don't, I just go, uh, cause they think I'm a radical leftist mostly. And so I just go, no, nah, I hate those Democrats. That gets me the in. Right. So now I'm cool with the Republicans. What's yeah. wrong with them? Like, dude, Obama, illegally bombed another country every 20 minutes of his eight-year reign violating international war crimes like <laughs> what more do you need okay you know the democrats themselves screwed bernie out of the primaries and we twice. all wanted bernie twice you're right and so my thing is it's like i certainly don't want to find a fascist to try to convert him but i do believe by being nice and figuring out alternate strategies that there is a possibility of getting the boomers, some of them away from Fox news and to understand that we're all working people. That's how I, that's my other foundational argument, dude, you and I have way more in common than the billionaires that are not paying taxes. Right. You know, that's a great one, boy. That gets them going right off the bat, you know? Yep. And then you can, you can source some, you know, the, the tech corporate tax rate in the fifties was nearly 50%. You know, we, we built highways, our entire highway structure was built off of that. Yeah. It just depends yeah. on how willing they are to actually listen to you and the information that you have. Because totally, sometimes totally. I've, I've gone down that road where, you know, I try to talk to somebody that's more conservative minded, fully go into the conversation with good faith and they just shut down everything I say. So I'm like, okay, moving on to the next one. Yeah. I mean, and again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't proactively seek it out, so to speak. I, yeah. I do. I am tired of the, because it is a game. They have aligned us against each other. And like I said, I don't suspect that we won't have a 2024 crystal knock, whether Trump gets reelected or not. Like, I mean, at this point, I, I don't even know, you know, they, there was like far to the right. It, it's insanity, man. And, and, you know, I remember back when the election happened, there was a lot of talk of, uh, and I knew people here in Springfield, Illinois, that were um, radical right, that it struck me that they were going to be sitting by the Capitol waiting for orders at, at the state Capitol, right? So when this, when this Supreme Court leak came out with Roe, I had multiple women that mean a lot to me that broke down crying in front of me yeah. over that. Yeah. Absolutely. Why? I, uh, yeah. What a, the, the underlying foundation. They're terrified. Like, totally. And, and male fantasies is like the greatest book on fascist theory, right? I forgot the author, but you can Google it. The end point is, is the destruction of the woman. And that is represented as, as mother earth. Like the ultimate end game of a total fascist win is to turn earth into Mars. Like, and they will kill themselves and go right before they die. They go, we won. Yep. You know, I did an entire hard. episode on anarcho-capitalism. I listened and... to that one. Yeah. <laughs> did you, did you listen to the aspect where I was talking about like artwork? 
how I don't remember. Like, do, say it. Tell me again. Yeah. Basically, anarcho-communism. If you look at their artwork and you look at their utopian society, you see all kinds of trees, forests. You don't see fucking skyscrapers everywhere. You see farms. You know, you see sustainability. You see people working together as a community. Yep. When you look at anarcho-capitalism, um, their utopian artwork, you see giant high-rises. You see cars everywhere. You don't see high-speed rail. You see yep. literally factories still spewing smog into the air. It's it's night and day. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that is where we're at, right? I mean, it's there's just, there's, I don't Think of the Lorax. That... The Lorax is an yeah. end, end yeah. cap society. I mentioned that, gotcha. by the way, in the episode. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm at the point now where, and I hate to say it, but my goal is to move out of the U.S. Actually, that's I. Yeah, I, I was in, I was in Costa. Yeah, I was in Costa Rica for the last year. Um, several years ago, I was in Peru. I was going to go back to Peru before Costa Rica. Now I've got connections. Um, I basically have connections all over the world, and I just keep track of kind of that place. The problem is, is that Trump really ruined the weight of the U.S. passport. Um, during his presidency, right. we had pretty unbridled, no visa rec required. I'm still pissed admission. that I can't go to Cuba. Oh yeah, dude, all of it, all of it. You know, um, New Zealand has like, they want to look at your bank account now. They want you to prove that you have money in your savings to be able to tourist visit New Zealand. I've been checking on it. It's insanity, man. Oh, God. Um, but I do know, and I hate to say this, but I am not willing to engage in the absolute brutal war civil war that will become america that in my opinion is inevitable it's just the powers no, that i'm need, leaving yeah they need to destroy it that's what i think like you know what i'm saying like there's so many influences guiding the bullshittery that is american culture right now it's just it's insurmountable you could just go down an entire list you know, of, well, these people are hitting it this way. These people are hitting it this way. I mean, it's total warfare without tanks. It's unlimited and then, fuckery. Yeah. And then they're going to get all these Nazis, right-wingers, to be like, you know what? This is exactly what happened in Germany, right? They were, the inflation, the same history repeats itself. Inflation became so bad that it was cheaper to burn the wheelbarrow of Reichmark dollars yeah. than the wood that wheelbarrow would buy. Right. Like that's how bad it was. People were starving. It was miserable. And what did they do? The powers that be kept pushing. It's immigrants. It's Jews like this whole thing. Right. Yep. And we see this exact template happening. All they have to do is get gas to 10 bucks, crash the entire economy. You know, have the super great depression. They're going to take all the money that they, all these all of us poor people saved from the great unemployment benefits we got because I lost three jobs when COVID hit, you know, mm -hmm. um, that the, the the money he gave us, the stimulus checks. What they're going to do is they're going to be starving and they just go because they're already armed. See, they don't need to build an army, right? They can just go, hey, if you round up a liberal, I'll give you some food. The state controls a monopoly on violence. Totally. So to me, that's that's all like and they don't even have to be. We could be literally actually outside of the state and the media at that point. And that's what like it scares me that Trump keeps trying to start his own thing because, you know, Breitbart and all that um, were failing to some degree. But they could on their own networks announce this kind of like monetary giveaway scalp. You know, it's not like this is an unheard of thing. This country's founded on scalps. 
the Native Americans did not invent scalping. It no. was the Western trappers who came here yep. and they were paid to scalp Native Americans as a um, proof that they killed that many Indians in the region. The Native Americans said, well, if these white assholes are doing that, we're going to do it back to them, right? Yep. There, I, I could totally see this system. I hate to say this, but I am not kidding. I could see this system where they're like, round up a liberal, like bring in a liptard, we'll give you some food. And these people would love it, dude. They would love it. Freud already pointed that out. Unleash the shadow. They love it. Totally. I, yeah. Shit, shit's going to hit the fan in the near future. And yeah, I hear you, man. I'm supposed to go overseas in August. Uh, I think you're, oh, yeah. going to, you're going to uh, Turkey, right, soon? I was looking for Istanbul soon. And then um, I'm. Uh, it's either Costa Rica, New Zealand, back to Peru. Like I've got like, I, like I said, I've just got it all there. I'm gonna, I want to go to Istanbul just for fun before again, that turns into a hell hole. I'm going but, yeah, I mean, to you're Canada. Right there, right? I'm going to Canada huh? and then to Greece. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I, 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 think, I think I'm going to go to Greece and then just stay over there. I don't think I'm going to go back. I would. <laughs> I hate to say it, not that we would violate any country's visa uh, things, but you know, like Turkey- In a video even, game, of course. Yes, yeah. Turkey doesn't even have an uh, exit flight necessary. Like Costa Rica, if you fly in, you have to tell them like within 89 days, I'm flying back out. Right, right. And then they just do border runs. So it's very easy to stay there. And if you buy property, you can apply for temporary citizenship. So Costa Rica is actually pretty wonderful. Um, but Europe, I mean, some of those like Turkey, it was like $5 visa and it didn't even need a exit flight or departure date. You're just like, I'm here. You're like, all right. You know, um, I kind of my other thing, too, is just, I hate to say this. I want to have some fun before this all turns just so sour. Yeah. I really do feel that it's just inevitable. I was listening to your climate, um, the police state or the uh, uh, it was about the prison system and climate yeah, change. Yeah. And you're like, that is so where we're at. You know, it's just going to get, become soylent green, you know? Yeah, I mean, the writing's on the wall. So, okay. You have the answers, though, Matt. How do we stay positive? That is, see, this is it. Like, I, I am enjoying talking with you, and this is a great endeavor. So, to me, this is all, like, part of that positive charged energy thing. Um, it is tough. I have no <laughs> answers for everybody. If we did, I'd be a millionaire, right? Um, and then I'd give all that money usually away to poor people and addicts because they need it more. Um, we'll yeah, pick, I think we'll honestly, our jobs and pick berries together. I, it's not bad, dude. I'm serious. Like the Costa Rica thing is not bad. You could kind of survive very cheaply there in the jungle, you know, because you don't need a heater. You know what I mean? There's there's water and all that. But uh -huh. I, I honestly, I could say it. It's it's nothing new. It's just I try to. Um, I literally try to raise that frequency. I just try to be positive and have fun. And when there's this ridiculousness of like media and social media, I don't watch television ever. Right. So I just get, be done with that. Um, social media, Facebook is a complete algorithmic hypnotizing addiction thing that I'm still fighting. If I was still an addict now, admittedly, any addiction component I have is checking into Facebook, you know, and, um, because now there's no actual, like, I don't have to go to a dealer. I just have it my, on my, my phone, right? you know, and right. you're like, it's free. That's mm -hmm. how they get you. But it's all mind, mind washing. I, you know, it's weird. I enjoy, this is so strange. I picked up ceramics. I love, I kind of dabbled in ceramics um, as an artist. And then when I was in Costa Rica, I really got back into it. 
and there was something beautiful and spiritual about making something with your hands and kind of hanging out with people and just again i hate to be silly new ager but like spreading the love being happy and just sharing a beautiful time no politics talking no into the world don't you just enjoy being with people and trying to keep that frequency up it's all i can say you know hell yeah man so, so fucking yeah. perfectly well said so how can listeners get in touch with you where can they find your book what projects and adventures do you have coming up in the future awesome well they i'll uh, go down the list and uh if you can include them too because of the leftist nature of this podcast and you jordan you can go to mattschultz.com slash total dot html that's an unregistered uh sub page because matchschultz.com is like for family consumption right you know what i mean <laughs> and this one has like the comedy shows i had a podcast called the max podcast where i broke down media Mm -hmm. uh step by step like even npr i would show you how npr was actually manipulating the left mm. you know and so um i have the trump billies was a, a comedy troupe we had years ago there's all sorts of stuff in there you could spend days on that one that's my kind of web art portfolio and that would lead you to the mandala event all the music uh the films i've done everything and then sweatlodge.love the suffix isn't you uh com it's dot love so sweat lodge love is is also through that site you can find it there and that's about my sweat lodges and events i have there and then my book is um it is the dark and the light.com so it's literally the title of the book there's a lot of other ones now out there uh with that same title unfortunately so just go to the dark and the light.com or go to matt schultz com and it'll just redirect you out to all of things i've created and uh you can have fun and hit me up too i seriously i like to be absolutely responsive to anybody that emails me thanks so much again matt okay Jordan, so, thank you yeah anytime man come back anytime yeah. you want i loved having you on oh i appreciate it so much i really do appreciate your podcast too dude this is so necessary at these times don't whip yourself into a negative frenzy though Absolutely. I get, a, I get a lot of people telling me the same thing. All right. <laughs> so as far as the 805 Uncensored goes, we're on Instagram at 805 Uncensored Pod, on Twitter at 805 Uncensored. We're also on YouTube at 805 Uncensored Podcast. If you guys have any questions, comments, uh, guest suggestions, or episode ideas, go ahead and shoot me an email, 805uncensored at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great night, morning, afternoon, wherever you're listening in the world. Peace out, everyone. Thank you.